0: Uh, For those of you who I don't know, my name is Aaron. I am also one of the pastors here. Really glad to meet you. Really glad to have you here today. We have been, as a church, going line by line, verse by verse, word by word, through the book of Hebrews for over a year. And today, we finish. Isn't that amazing? Uh, It's a little bit bittersweet for me to say that we're now done with the book of Hebrews. This has been a profoundly impacting uh, sermon series, even for myself to teach through, working with the other elders on that. Uh, Really grateful for what God has done in my own life personally, the life of our church, and we'll get to experience a little bit more of that as we go. What I'd like to do, as always, is I'd like to read through this passage, pray, and then spend some time unpacking it together. So, Read with me, if you would, Hebrews 13, beginning in verse 20. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together, church family. God, we thank you for the scriptures. God, we thank you that you've given us these, these written words to teach us and train us and correct us and rebuke us. And God, ultimately to shape us so that we look more like Jesus. And so that's my prayer for our time today. God, I pray as we look at your word, I pray that you would, you'd transform us to love Jesus more, and to live like Jesus more, more so than we did when we first walked in these doors. God, I ask that you'd guard my lips. Help me to only teach that which is in line with the truth from your word. And God, would you give each and every person here today a soft heart, a a teachable heart that we might uh, be shaped and, and we might grow to look more like you. We ask your blessing on this time and may our hearts and our affections and our attention be turned to Jesus now above anything and everything else. We pray this all in his good name. And everyone said, amen. So a year going through one book of the Bible. Uh, It's 13 months. The reason why it's 13 months is because we took a few breaks here and there. Some of you might remember, we we kicked off this this book study in September of last year. And on September 20th, the second week in our series, we did something kind of unique. Anybody remember what we did on the second week of our sermon series? we read straight through the entire book of the Bible. Uh, The the four of us who were serving on the elder team at the time kind of took turns just reading because the book of Hebrews was originally a sermon that then was turned into a letter and passed around. So we said, let's just do this. This was a sermon. Let's take our sermon time. We're just going to read straight through this book of the Bible. How many of you were here and remember that? Raise your hands, okay? That's quite a bit of us. I uh, remember, it was impacting for me just participating in it, but that, like many of you, is the first time I've ever seen that done in a church service. Just read through an entire book of the Bible. We took a little break around Christmas time of last year to look at uh, the advent of Jesus, the coming of Jesus. We had a fun Christmas Eve service in which we talked about the real story of St. Nicholas. You guys remember that? Uh, I think this year I want to do on Christmas Eve the real story of Rudolph, Uh, the 10th century Italian monk. So we'll talk about him. I'm just kidding. Or am I? Uh, We took a little break around Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter, to look at the triumphal entry and the sacrificial death and the victorious resurrection of Jesus. We took a little break this summer. For three weeks, we had three church planters, three pastors that we've been supporting as a church come and speak to us and and teach us and give us a little update. Were you guys blessed by those guest preachers this this summer? Really appreciated having them there. But other than that, other than those three short breaks, we have been week after week after week gathering together on a Sunday morning and opening to the book of Hebrews. And it got me reflecting on the last year. A lot's changed in the last year, hasn't it? A lot's changed probably in your lives individually, things I don't necessarily know about, things have changed in my life individually. But I want to look at just a few things that have happened in, in our culture, in our country, just a reminder of how fast a year can go by. So it's baseball playoff season, it's football season. Let me start with sports. The last year, November 1st, the Kansas City Royals won their first ever World Series as an organization, and how many of you take that as there's hope for our Seattle Mariners yet, okay? Uh, the uh, Denver Broncos in February beat the Carolina Panthers, much to the rejoicing of all of the Seahawks fans for their Super Bowl championship. In June, the Cleveland Cavaliers won their first NBA championship as an organization. Like, we got to keep hope alive, Mariners fans. It's going to happen at some point here, or probably not. And then in August... Uh, The Summer Olympics happened in various green swimming pools in Rio de Janeiro, uh, Brazil. A lot of national, international attention on that. A lot happened in sports, right? A lot happened in pop culture. Think of some of the famous people who died over the last year. David Bowie, Prince, Muhammad Ali, Alan Rickman, Gene Wilder, and the inventor of lemonade iced tea mixed together, Arnold Palmer. You can all go have one this afternoon in his honor. Uh, I remember the first uh, internet sensation that happened the first week after we started the book of Hebrews was the pizza rat. Anybody see pizza rat? You guys remember pizza rat? What? Oh, well, you probably aren't spending enough time on it. No, you're, you're not spending too much time on the internet. That's a good thing. It's a rat dragging a piece of pizza along the sidewalks of New York. It doesn't get any more New York than that. December 18th, Star Wars, The Force Awakens hit movie theaters. There's like four of you nerds are really happy about that. Uh, December 18th, the same day, Netflix released a documentary series called Making a Murderer. Just a quick show of hands. How many of you watch Making a Murderer on Netflix? Do you realize that that has actually impacted the United States legal system? There have been uh, uh, laws that have been worked being passed. There are retrials related to that. Just because Netflix decided to do a miniseries of a decade-old court case, in February, something that happened on Netflix that was not as impactful was Fuller House. Uh, that so that happened. <laughs> if you remember, in March here in Seattle, there was the 24 hours where we had Seattle's Man in Tree, over 24 hours spent at the top of like an 80 foot tall tree. Uh, May 19th, that was my anniversary. Was Chewbacca Mask Lady? That happened. <laughs> June 22nd, a personal favorite of mine, the T-Rex American Ninja Warrior thing happened. You saw that? And everybody's favorite, July 6th, Pokemon Go swept the nation. Ah, you all need to repent, okay? On a more serious note, uh, world events, things that have happened that have been uh, massive in our not only our culture but in the world. In November, not too long after we launched into the book of Hebrews, Islamic terrorists launched multiple attacks on the city of Paris. Uh, killing 130 people and wounding nearly 400 more. In January, shortly after the new year, the city of Flint, Michigan, declared a state of emergency for their water crisis, that there was contaminated poison water, that uh, there was all sorts of conversation about what the government is or should be doing to remedy that situation. Of course, we're only a few months removed from the July 5th and 6th police shootings of Alton Sterling and Philando Castile, leading to widespread national and even international conversation about race and the police and justice and the use of force. All sorts of um, dialogue, and both healthy and very unhealthy, happening in our country and around the world because of that. The following day, obviously, the, the retaliatory shootings of four police officers at Dallas, Texas, That is just a few months ago, and even uh, maybe not quite as serious of a note, but October 5th, the space shuttle, the New Shepard 2, makes its fifth successful landing, prompting Jeff Bezos and the organization to announce that there will be private space travel happening in 2018. So if you want to start saving your pennies now to go visit the moon, we're two years-ish away from private citizens being able to pay to go into outer space. Can you even believe that? That's what's happening in our world. That's what's happened in sports. That's what's happened in pop culture. And meanwhile, week after week after week, you and I, those of you who are part of Sound City Bible Church, we've gathered together and we've opened this book because we've said that this book actually has something of meaning, something of value to speak into our lives. And so Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, despite what's been going on in the world, despite what's been happening in sports or pop culture, we said, let's open the scriptures and let's look at the word of God and see what it has to say. And so as we've looked through the book of Hebrews, we've seen these themes coming up over and over again. We saw some themes specifically about Jesus. He's greater than things. He's he's greater than the prophets that came before. That as great as the message was that was delivered in the Old Testament by the prophets, that now Jesus shows up giving us direct communication from God. That Jesus is greater than the angels. That yes, they're ministering spirits sent by God. They're powerful. They have a place of honor and prestige, but Jesus occupies a higher place than the angels. That Jesus is greater than Moses or Aaron or Joshua, the the founding leaders of the people of God and the nation of Israel. That these men were great and they, they served God faithfully, but Jesus is greater. That Jesus is greater than the priests and the sacrifices that they offer because they were all temporary, and that Jesus holds his priesthood forever. Jesus is greater than Melchizedek, the, the priest king from the pages of Genesis, that Jesus it holds a higher place of honor and validation than all of those things. Jesus is greater is the overarching mega theme of the book of Hebrews. But even though that Jesus is greater, we also saw that the author of Hebrews talked about the lowliness of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus, that Jesus was made lower than the angels for a time, that Jesus was made like his brothers in every respect, like us, like humanity, people, flesh and blood, frail, that Jesus suffered when he was tempted or tested when he was tried in every way, that Jesus is able to sympathize with our weakness That Jesus was tempted in every respect, yet was without sin. That Jesus suffered and died for our sins. That Jesus bore shame and reproach outside of the camp, despite the fact that the author of Hebrews declares that Jesus is greater than all of those things, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He also declares that Jesus was fully human and experienced everything that you and I experience. He would say that Jesus is fully God and Jesus is fully man. And the author of Hebrews doesn't try to reconcile the tension that's there and neither should we, amen? That we, we can see Jesus, the one who literally upholds the universe, keeps things going by the word of his power, and yet he's also able to sympathize with us. Isn't that amazing? And we saw that because of this, because of Jesus, because of him being both God and man, we now have a better message, That as great as the message from the prophets was, we have now heard the most direct communication from God that there is because Jesus is God himself. We have a better covenant, a better agreement, a better way to relate to God. Now we don't have to go through priests. We don't have to gather and offer sacrifices that the final sacrifice has been made by our ultimate priest, Jesus. We have a better covenant. We have a better priest. He is our high priest. And because of that, we have a better way to draw near to God. We don't have to go through another person. We don't have to go through a set of rituals. We don't have to go through a certain set of practices that we who are in Christ can draw directly near to God the Father because of what Jesus has done for us on our behalf. We have a better tabernacle or an altar or a place of worship. And no, I do not mean the theater at Linwood High School. As great as this room has been for us to gather for worship, we're talking about the fact that we as Christians have direct access into the presence of God. If you're a Christian, you have direct access to the throne room of God. We have a full assurance of faith. Because of Jesus, we don't have to wonder if God loves us. If you ever are fearful or wondering if God loves you, you look at the cross and you be reminded of the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Full assurance of faith. Because of Jesus, we now have a better hope. We don't have to put our hope on our own efforts. We don't have to put our hope on our own striving. We don't have to put our hope on earthly leaders or kingdoms or the economy or politicians. We have a better hope. His name is Jesus. And because of Jesus, we have a better and lasting city that as much as I love Seattle and the the Pacific Northwest, as much as I'm grateful for the freedoms we have in the United States of America, this is not my home. Christian, this is not your home. One day... Should the Lord not return, the United States of America will be no more, but the kingdom of God will last forever, and our citizenship is in the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, and the new earth. Is that encouraging to anybody here? Now, in light of all of that, the author of Hebrews warns us. He says, you need to pay close attention to this message. This is a serious message. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Pay close attention. The author of Hebrews says, be careful not to drift. Don't drift away. If you you think you're in neutral, you're not in neutral. You're actually going backwards. There's a a river that's flowing. We're like a, a boat that's sitting in the river. And if we're not swimming upstream, pursuing the things of God, we will drift away. The author of Hebrews warns us, don't fall away from your original confidence. When you first become a Christian, when you first encounter the grace of God in Jesus, there's an excitement, there's a passion, there's a joy that happens. And he says, don't lose that original confidence. The author of Hebrews also warns to not keep on deliberately sinning. Once you've come to know the grace of God, yes, we all stumble. Yes, we all still have remaining sin, but God's working in us. But when you know the truth and you make intentional choices to deliberately sin, the author of Hebrews has some very strong warnings for us. He says... Don't stop gathering together. Don't stop helping others. And he also warns us to persevere in the faith. Keep going to the end until the day that you take your last breath or until the day that Jesus himself returns. Keep pursuing him. Keep pressing in. And by the way, along the way, as we, as we were going through the book of Hebrews, we picked up some information about angels. We talked about angels. Uh, we talked about covenants we learned about the priesthood and the temple. We spent a lot of time talking about tables and bread and candlesticks. I mean, those are the things you get out of bed on a Sunday morning to hear about, right? I really want to go to church. I want to hear someone talk about candelabras. Sound City Bible Church is here for you, friends. We talked about the ABCs of Christianity back in chapter six, these foundational fundamental truths that we can never move on from. We talked about Melchizedek. How many of you guys like Melchizedek? I mean, he's just fun, right? We argued about who he was and the nature of his ministry. And some of you got a little wacky and the elders corrected you and it's all good. But we, we love talking about Melchizedek. We talked about perseverance or the preservation of the saints that those who belong to Jesus, you're going to make it to the end, You're going to make it to the end. Don't fall away. You're going to make it to the end. We talked about faith. We talked a lot about faith. What is faith? What does faith look like? What does faith look like in the pages of the Old Testament? All these heroes of the faith, great men and women who went before us. We talked about God's loving discipline in our lives, how God corrects those, chastises those whom he loves and whom he cares about because he wants to shape us and grow us to look more like Jesus. And oh yeah, at the end here, we picked up a few things about hospitality, about sex, about marriage, about money, about leadership, and many, many more things. That's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot. We covered a lot over the last year as we went through the book of Hebrews. And, And what's remarkable to me is God uses all of these themes, all of these ideas, all of these subjects to shape us and to change us and to grow us a little bit at a time one day at a time, one week at a time, one month at a time. Change is happening. Growth is happening. Shaping is happening. Even if sometimes we don't see it directly. And I actually want to share with you um, a testimony of a friend of mine here because this is, this is unique. Now, he doesn't want me to do this, but I'm going to do it. I, I did have the sermon, Obey Your Leaders and Submit to Them uh, last week. So I said, you have to do it. And, uh, but I want to invite Ethan to come up here Ethan, I'll set it up the backstory of this. Last year, I, had, um, I shared a video of a pastor acquaintance of mine who memorized the entire book of Hebrews and, and then spoke it in front of the congregation. He had a background in theater, and so he had memorized the whole book of Hebrews, and he spoke it out, kind of a, a presentation style. I shared that video on Facebook, and I got a text from Ethan. Come over here, buddy. Come over here. Uh, you seem sheepish. Uh, I got a text from Ethan. He says, you know what? I want to memorize the entire book of Hebrews over the next year as we go through it. And you're about eight verses behind right now. Yeah, uh, What's wrong with you, you slacker? <laughs> you guys, Ethan has memorized the entire book of Hebrews over the course of this last year as we've been going through that. Now, listen, I know. He doesn't, he doesn't like it that I'm embarrassing him in this way, but... I felt like this was an important thing that that God did in his his life did in our church community, and I just want to at least give him the opportunity to share with you kind of why uh God called him in that direction so So let me just ask you this first question is what made you decide to tackle this this massive undertaking to to memorize an entire book of the bible what what prompted that in your heart
1: yeah um, two things uh and uh One of them was that Facebook post, so thank you for
0: that. Facebook Um, has been redeemed officially. (laughs) There was Um, one good Facebook post in the last year. Exactly.
1: Um, But in in, in all seriousness, uh, two things. One, um, you mentioned drifting. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's uh, something that Hebrews talks quite a bit about. Uh, And I noticed that in my scripture reading time, when i pray, when I was sitting listening to sermons, um, despite your... your, uh, capturing dad jokes that you weave in there. I appreciate that too. Um, when, I, when I'm singing, oftentimes my mind drifts, uh, and I don't, I'm not focused. And even when I'm praying, oh, did, did, is what I just said doctrinally correct? Is that really what I should be praying for? Um, and I realize that uh, the safest and most life-giving thing for me is when I recite scripture. Um, and what more, what more worshipful way of praying than to pray back to God his own truths
0: yeah
1: Uh, I I just found I always found that to be incredibly life-giving and I thought okay well if I don't have to read it what if I can just recite it focus on that yeah Um, then the second thing is that I was challenged yeah um and that was partially your Facebook post Um, but the other thing was that there was a a gal named Courtney Uh, about a year and a half ago or so uh, you and Pastor Travis and a few of the other pastors got together a panel of people and and did a um, a spiritual disciplines Q&A of what do you do for spiritual disciplines. Courtney got up here and she very passionately uh, proclaimed her uh, enthusiasm for memorizing scripture and how God had used it to change her and mature her. Um, And uh, she said uh, to everyone in the room, um, I believe that I'm here to tell at least one person that you need to start memorizing scripture. (laughs) Mike said, "Oh, that, that's that's cute, Courtney. Thanks.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> Courtney can, Courtney can be very convincing. She's moved to the north, e- uh, like uh, New England area. We'll have to send this sermon to her. So <laughs> she'll she'll be happy to know that that encouragement came true in your life.
1: And it really was. Yeah. She planted a seed, and yeah. and while it took me a little while, it took a little while for that seed to grow. It was something that was just percolating in the mm-hmm. back of my mind yeah. until." had some encouragement from you
0: and other friends that, yeah, you should do that. That's awesome. What have you seen, I mean, that's obviously a massive undertaking, but what have you seen God do just in your life personally as a result of, of disciplining yourself to memorize Scripture? How has God shaped you grown, you, grown you over the course this last year or so of doing that?
1: Yeah, so uh, uh, I know I, I've shared with you um, how, I, how I did it, yeah. but I, for everybody here, I took my commute. I have a half hour in, an hour on the way home, um, and... Uh, I took that time and I said, "Okay, let's let's use this. Let's make it productive." So I started memorizing during my commute. Yeah. Um, so the first thing is that I'm much less angry in traffic. That's, that's great. Um, but uh, the the biggest part is that I've I've come to uh, be much more in awe of who God is. Uh, I'll, I'll be reading through or just reciting um, Scripture. Uh, specifically, the last one in chapter 13 was, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah. And I was I was reading that, I think it was last week, or reciting it as I was driving uh, last week, and I, it, it brought me to tears just because it's so beautiful that mm-hmm. our Savior will never leave us nor forsake That's us. That's good. That's yeah. good.
0: What would you say to somebody who's here this morning and they're thinking, I could never memorize a whole book of the Bible, but maybe I could... Start memorizing some scripture. What would you say as an encouragement to our, our friends who are here? That's, by the way, that's not the expectation. Okay, Ethan also like climbs mountains and runs marathons and things. He's a little crazy, but uh, I think that discipline of memorizing scripture is something we all can do. We all could benefit from. So, what would you say as an encouragement uh, to those who are here thinking about that?
1: Heed that call. Um, God is faithful. Uh, and he will he will give you the ability to do it. Uh, I I've never been a big fan of me- just memorizing things, especially intangible things that were removed from my social status or what, whatever. Yeah.
0: The, the just the things you know about in. every yeah. Exactly,
1: mm-hmm. exactly. So the idea of memorizing about candles and golden arcs and <laughs> all these things and Melchizedek. I mean, there, just, I'm fascinated already, bro. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but that never that never really fascinated me. But. Um, I, I felt that call, uh, and I thought, okay, well, if, if you're calling me to do this, then I need to, I need to do it. I need to obey that call. Yeah. And so I tried a couple of different methods and finally found one that stuck. Um, and uh, I trusted that and, and I trusted that God would bring to fruition, bring to completion, the yeah. work that he started in me. That's pretty awesome. Yeah.
0: That's good. You guys, can we just say thank you to Ethan for being faithful to do this? And we're proud of you, bro. So awesome. you're going to— you know, finish up the last couple of verses, right? Finish up the last few verses and then uh be all the way completed with the book of Hebrews. That's amazing. You know, I think about that, you know, just a little bit by little bit. When when you go day by day, memorizing one verse, memorizing three verses, he would always Text me or or email me like, doggone it, Aaron, why did you schedule 14 verses for this week's sermon? Because he tried to kind of follow our pattern of, of how, how much we bit off a particular week. Um, but it's that little practice day by day, week by week, and before you know it, there's this beautiful final project of memorize an entire book of the Bible. When I think about our growth as Christians, when I think about our growth as humans, you know, sometimes we can have these big growth spurts, sometimes God does these miracles where we kind of jump forward in big leaps and bounds but how many of you know that growth is often just very small steps it's incremental those of you who are parents or who have been parents you see your kids every single day and they're growing but they're growing a little tiny bit every day and then all of a sudden that relative from out of town shows up and says oh my goodness they've they've gotten so big or they've grown so much you guys know what i'm talking about some of you, maybe you've, you've set a goal, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose some weight or I'm going to get healthy and you're working through that every single day, every single week and you just, you know, half pound here, a half an inch there and then you see somebody that you haven't seen in six months or haven't seen in a year and like, oh my goodness, you look so healthy, you've lost so much weight. That's just how a lot of life works and it's actually how a lot of the kingdom of God works. That's how God works in us. I think of passages like Luke 13 where Jesus is speaking and he's preaching. He says, how can I, you know, how can I describe the kingdom of God? What's it like? He says, it's like it's like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Any of you who are gardeners or, or have you ever planted a tree, you know, they just take a long time to grow. Or I think of earlier in the book of Hebrews, just in chapter 12, not too long ago, we talked about God's loving discipline. He says, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant at the moment, but later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. I said it then, I'll say it now. That, that word later is my least favorite word in that entire passage. I want change and I want it now. I want to be patient immediately, God. Uh, but, but, but God uses these processes in us to grow us over time. And I think as we, as a church, we've been going, again, line by line, verse by verse, word by word, through this book of the Bible, God has shaped us and changed us would you agree, Sound City, has God shaped us and changed us over the last year? Have a, I have a unique opportunity to have some conversations with, with people who stop in um, from time to time. One of, one of which would be my parents. My parents live uh, in Anchorage, Alaska, and they come visit every six months or so. And so they come and they attend and they participate in worship with us. And I've had, had conversations with my dad just about how he's seen this church just grow and change and become more healthy and become more joyful. I had um, conversation with some friends of mine uh, when, when we had our guest speakers this summer, it brought some other old friends back around to come hang out and they said, man, I cannot believe how this church has grown in welcoming and friendliness and just smiling and being joyful. Did you know that, Sound City, that you are officially friendly, welcoming, and smiling? Can you, can you even believe that? I can't, I hardly can't myself. Uh, we had some members of our church community They had been gone for a long trip, a lengthy sailing trip, and they had been listening to the sermons online, but they hadn't worshiped with us on a Sunday morning. One of them, he, he said to me about a month ago, is I cannot believe how loud the people of the church sing and praise and worship God. He's like, I've never heard that before. People of Sound City are just worshiping Jesus. I'm like, praise God for those encouragements. I look through the finances of the church. You have been generous, you've grown in generosity, you've grown in faithfulness. I look about the volunteers and the service and the people who are, who are being here at seven o'clock in the morning to set all this stuff up. And those who are serving back in our children's ministry for our, you know, emerging nation. That is the kids ministry back there. The, 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 the dozens and dozens of faithful volunteers that's been growing. You've been growing in faithfulness. You've been growing in joy. God's been working in us church. Is that encouraging to anyone this morning? And so with all that said, that was the intro. Now let's get into the sermon. Now, I'm going to briefly look at these closing verses and, and, and pull out a few things for us to look at as we wrap up this magnificent book. Let's, let's look at his closing prayer. This is the closing prayer. I'm going to start in verse 20. He says this, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's a long run-on sentence in English. It's a long run-on sentence in the original Greek. The author of Hebrews is just worshiping God and praying for the people. Let me, let me break it down a little bit so you can understand what it is that he is praying for us. First of all, he's praying, may God equip you with everything good. May God equip you with everything good. One of our fundamental convictions at Sound City Bible Church is that ministry and doing good is not reserved for a select few professional Christians. That God gives the leaders to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so if you are a believer in Jesus, if you've been saved by Jesus, then your role is to actually be equipped to go and do that which Christ has called you to do. The author of Hebrews, his prayer here is exactly in line with what we see in Ephesians 4. It's why we have that as one of our church values. Friends, God wants you to be equipped so that you may do good works for his name. Your pastors want you to be equipped to do good things in his name. The author of Hebrews wants you to be equipped with everything good. The author of Hebrews also prays that God would work in us that which is pleasing in his sight. That God would work in us that which is pleasing in his sight. That that when you say no to sin, or when you have stumbled in sin, and you come with a broken and repentant heart, and when you say yes to righteousness, to loving somebody else, to serving somebody else, did you know that that's pleasing to God? If you're a Christian, God is ultimately pleased with you in Christ Jesus. That work is done, that work is finished because of His death on the cross. But the more we learn to walk it out, the more we learn to live it out. I love that that it says it's pleasing in His sight, that God has a smile on his face. When you say... No to sin, when you say yes to righteousness, when you let Him work in you, that God is pleased. And notice who the active agent in that is. And it ain't you, it's God, God working in us, God being faithful to complete what He has started. If you are growing, it's because of God's faithfulness. And if you're not growing, it's because of your rebellion. And so, are you seeing God growing in your life? Are you seeing him be faithful that to bring that which is pleasing in his sight? And he says this, the, the, the prayers, may God uh, do that so we can do his will. Again, so we can live our lives in greater alignment with his will. That's the prayer. That's the author of Hebrews' prayer for his first listeners and by extension for all of us as well. Now, how is that going to happen? How is that going to happen? Well, shouldn't surprise you. The answer is Jesus. Jesus, he says, Jesus, the resurrected Savior. Friends, you gotta understand something. You gotta understand something. We are resurrection people. We love to speak of the death of Jesus. We love to speak of the cross of Jesus Christ where he paid the price, the penalty for our sins. He died in our place. God made him to take all of our sin upon himself that whoever would trust in him would receive grace, receive forgiveness, receive eternal life. But friends, there is only one reason why we should get up on a Sunday morning and actually put on clothes and not just stay in our pajamas all day and and watch football and eat pancakes. It's this, the tomb is empty. The apostle Paul says, if the tomb is empty, then this, what we're doing right now is a colossal waste of our time. He actually goes so far as to say that we should be pitied. Friends, you can go to Israel. You can go to Jerusalem. You can visit a tourist site where they say that Jesus' body was buried for those three days, but you know what you won't find there? A body. You will not find bones. You will not find, you will not find Jesus because we do not serve a dead religious founder. We serve a resurrected and living savior. Now, if you, amen, if you're gonna be changed, if you're gonna grow, if you're gonna make it to the end, you need resurrection power. And if God could raise Christ Jesus from the dead, then he can certainly make you look more like Jesus. He's gonna do it through Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, The great shepherd of the sheep. I love serving as one of your pastors, as one of your shepherds. I love the team of men that God has put into that place of leadership. I love all of the other leaders from our band leaders to our children's ministry leaders to our community group and small group leaders. But the most active, the most energetic, the most involved leader in our church is Jesus Christ. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. And at best, any other leader, when they're properly doing their job, it's not to point you to themselves, it's to use their leadership to point you to Jesus Christ. He is the great shepherd of the sheep and Jesus is the one who will get the glory forever and ever. If a leader does a good job, if a member does a good job, if I do a good job, if Ethan does a good job memorizing an entire book of the Bible, guess what? It's not about any of us. It's about Jesus. He gets the credit. He gets the honor. He gets the fame. He gets the glory. Amen. That's how God is going to work in us. That's the closing prayer. That's my closing prayer for us. That's the author of Hebrews closing prayer for us that we would grow, that we would be equipped all because of Jesus, who he is and what he's done. Now he makes a closing appeal. He, he, He finishes that prayer. He says, Amen. And then he has just some very final words, his last appeal. This is what he says. Uh, I'm going to read verse 22. It says this, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. <laughs> ah, that's a preacher right there. That's 13 chapters later, I've written to you briefly. Uh, I think what he means is in light of just the denseness of all the subject matter he's covered, there's a lot much more that could be said, Amen. So he says, I've written to you briefly, and he says, I I urge you to bear with, to to stick with my word of exhortation. That phrase, a word of exhortation, is a unique phrase. And most commentators and and, and, um, biblical scholars would view that as understanding that to mean his sermon. That's why we said that the book of Hebrews was originally a sermon that was then turned into a letter. The author of Hebrews was a preacher, a preacher. A word of exhortation, that word exhort, it's an old-fashioned word. We don't usually use that word uh, very much, right? Your boss walks into your office like, hey, I'd just like to exhort you to be a little bit more punctual. Like, that's, if, you, if you find that guy, he, he probably goes to like an old school church where they all wear neckties, right? Like, it's, 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 a, it's an old-fashioned word that we just don't use that much. But what it means is this. It means to urge you, to spur you on, to, to push on you a little bit. Teaching is the the transfer of information. Let me just give you information, but this preaching really is, and now based on that information, I want to push you forward. I want to urge you to something. I want to call you to action. I believe that preaching is one of the unique ways that God ministers his grace to his people. Through the exhortation, through the preaching of the truths of God. And so as I was kind of reflecting on finishing up this great book of the Bible and I started thinking about preaching and how important preaching is and this is in and of itself, the, the book of Hebrews was a sermon and how we gather together every Sunday and the sermon time, the teaching time from myself and the other elders is a feature part of what we do. It just got me thinking about preaching in general. And when I think about preaching, I think about my personal favorite preacher, the late Charles Spurgeon. Any of you familiar with Charles Spurgeon? Charles Spurgeon. He was a preacher in England in the 19th century. He, before there really were megachurches, had, had, was preaching to crowds of thousands upon thousands. He would preach so much, his, his voice, he would sometimes cough blood because he was so loud and just preaching to these massive crowds. He actually had, had gotten such a following that the newspaper in his city started doing a Monday morning like objections article, basically arguing with all of his <laughs> Sunday sermons. How'd you like that uh, as a preacher? But Charles Spurgeon was passionate about preaching. And so I just started reading through some of his commentaries and some of his instructions on preaching and just the purpose of preaching, what good preaching actually must be and what preaching must do. And I, I kind of boiled it down to five things and I'll share these with you. This is all Charles Spurgeon, by the way. Don't feel like you gotta try to write these quotes down. I posted them up on the notes on our website. But here's what Spurgeon would say. Good preaching must point people to Jesus. Good preaching must point people to Jesus. It's not to point people to the preacher. It's not to point them to the church. It's not to point them to any such other cause or organization or movement. It's to point people to Jesus. This is what he says. I would sooner preach the dullest sermon that was ever preached than preach the most brilliant that was ever spoken. If I could, by that poor sermon, lead you quite away from myself to seek the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the one thing I care about. And one more because it made me laugh. He said, a sermon without Christ as its beginning, middle, and end is a mistake in conception and a crime in execution. Ah, subtle, subtle guy, Uh, Charles Spurgeon. A good sermon helps point people to Jesus. A good sermon must help people understand the Bible. A good sermon is to help you get further into the written word of God. He he says this, Spurgeon says, if my sermons kept people from reading the Bible for themselves, I would like to see the whole stock in a blaze and burn to ashes. Again, there's that famous subtlety he was known for. But if these sermons, if they serve as fingers pointing to the scriptures and saying, read this and this and this, then I am thankful to have printed them. Good preaching must see people get saved. I've said it before. Uh, say it again, hopefully over and over and over by God's grace, the last thing in the world you need is my advice or my opinions. The last thing in the world you need is a bunch of advice or a motivational pep talk. What you need is the life-transforming power of Jesus. And if I don't call you to repentance, and for those of you who are here who are not Christians, if I don't invite you to meet Jesus, to come to him as Lord and Savior, then I have sinned against you greatly and done a terrible disservice to you. Preaching must exist to see you get saved. Charles Spurgeon says this, it were were worthwhile to preach every Sabbath for a million years if but one soul were brought in at last. I would, I would blame that on, again, Spurgeon's tendency towards hyperbole, but I actually believe that to be completely true. That the souls of those who Christ redeems are so precious and so valuable, it's worth coming in here and preaching every Sunday for a million years to see someone be saved. And number four, preaching must help people grow. Help people grow. Spurgeon says, surely I had better give up the preaching of the gospel when you give up the living of the gospel My task, in itself difficult, is rendered absolutely impossible if, while I preach one thing, you live another. So preaching is to help you live in a way that is in line with the message of this gospel. And then number five, preaching is to help people persevere to the end. If you are a Christian, you are going to make it to the end. And one of the ways that God works that in you is he uses preaching... To do so, Spurgeon says, if there is one doctrine I have preached more than another, it is the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints even to the end. And Spurgeon preached a lot. Look at this, look at this list of these five things again. The, the, the good preaching must do all of these things. Yes, this is what Spurgeon endeavored to do. Yes, this is what myself, the other elders, endeavored to do. I just was struck as I was looking over this list. Isn't that what the book of Hebrews itself does? The book of Hebrews itself, it points us to Jesus over and over and over and over again. It helps us understand the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament, to see their meaning and see their fulfillment in Jesus. The author of Hebrews wants to see people saved. The author of Hebrews wants to see people grow and yes, to persevere to the end. This um, topic of exhorting and preaching, it made me think about some other calls for exhorting. I believe that God uses preaching this particular format where myself or another pastor in the church stands up before you and proclaims to you the word of god but but that's not the totality of exhorting that needs to happen how many of you know that you are you are called to exhort one another guess where we saw that hebrews 3 it says this exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin that sin is deceitful, sin is a blinder, but but God uses his people, not just pastors, all of his people to speak that truth to one another. So let me ask you this, show of hands, how many of you have ever had someone come to you and say, hey, I think you got some blinders on, I think there's something you're missing here, and I just wanna speak some truth to you. Who, who's ever had that happen to you? How many of you are thankful for that? Okay, how many of you have ever seen something and you thought, man, I, I really... I really probably need to speak up. I really need to exhort or say something. But then you, you got scared and you didn't say anything. Okay? it's a good number of us. How many of you saw something, you want to say something, there's some truth, you want to exhort one another, and then you like just totally lay into somebody and you forgot about the love part, right? Anybody ever done that? Oh, no honest people here today? Okay, I gotcha, yeah. <laughs> Friends, we, we fail at this all the time. But this is God's call for us. Not only that the preachers will exhort the people, but that we will exhort one another. This isn't from Hebrews, but there's another layer to this too. Do you know that we're called to preach the gospel not just to one another, but to preach the gospel to ourselves. Preach the gospel to ourselves. Um, there's a, a pastor, preacher, John Piper, and he has this statement that he said. It's, it's hyperbolic, but just go with me on this. He says, "He says, I wake up in the morning, every morning, a non-Christian. I have to spend the whole day preaching the gospel to myself so that by the time I go to bed at night I'm a Christian again. Now he's exaggerating, obviously, but but what the point is is that we are all prone to forget the truths of the gospel. We're all prone to listen to lies. we're all prone to listen to our own thoughts instead of listening to the truth of the gospel. And so we have to get in the habit of preaching to ourselves. We see this actually back in the Psalm, Psalm 42. David's writing he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? He's talking to himself. Self, why are you so bummed out? Why are you in turmoil within me? And then he says this hope in God. That's an imperative statement. That's a command. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. That's gospel language. David is saying, why am I so depressed? Why am I so bummed out? It's because I'm not preaching the gospel to myself. There's another one of my favorite preachers, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He lived in the middle part of the 20th century. He was someone who struggled with depression and he wrote a book on spiritual depression that especially for its time was really progressive really forward-looking, really forward-leaning and very biblical, and he has a great quote in which Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? (laughs) Oh, just mic drop and walk off the stage. What are you listening to? Are you listening to your own thoughts? Are you listening to your own stories, the things you're prone to go towards, or are you, dear Christian, preaching the gospel to yourself. Exhort one another, exhort yourself, let the preachers exhort you, let the word of God exhort you, let the spirit of God minister to you. We need to be spurred on to action. And then lastly, he says this, uh, picking back up in verse 23. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings. He, he, he talks about community. He talks about the relationship. He says, our brother Timothy, that, that church is supposed to be like a family. I've had conversations with people, even in this room, who have said to me, yeah, I'm actually really not that close with my blood relatives. I'm closer with people here in the church. There's a, there's a relationship that goes deeper than blood. It's the blood of Jesus. My brother Timothy. He says, greet the Greet the leaders. That the church is is not just a family that sits around, you know, playing Yahtzee all the time, that there's actually a, a mission and a and a goal and somewhere we're going, and God has given leaders to rally the people and say, hey, let's go, let's go here, let's do this, that we're part of this community that that is a family, but that's on a mission. He says, Greet all the saints. Hey, who's that? That's you. <laughs> that's you. Saint Nick. Well, that's yeah, that's kind of a bad one, right? Saint Pete, right? Saint Abigail. You, Christian, saint is not a reserved, select thing for for those who are the super Christians whose names go down in history. No, if you are in Christ Jesus, you're a saint. And that means this community is a Christ-focused community, a Christ-centric community because we're made holy by his blood. He also says, those who are in Italy send you greetings. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. That Most scholars believe that this letter was originally given to Christians in Rome and that those who then left Rome or left Italy, traveled around the world, are now sending greetings back. Friends, this community, this, this church that we're a part of, it's more than just this room. It's more than just the two Sunday morning services at Sound City Bible Church that as we gather together to open the scriptures, to sing, to eat of the Lord's table, that there are millions of people around the world who are also participating in this because we are part of something that is much bigger than us. It's much beyond our scope. It's something that only Jesus Christ could do. It's called the kingdom of God. So we're part of something worldwide. We're part of something much bigger than us. And then the author of Hebrews gives us the final word. Grace be with all of you. The last word of the book of Hebrews is grace. All of these things we've looked at, all of these messages, leadership, warning, perseverance, angels, prophets, temple, Melchizedek, priests, sacrifice, the only thing that even comes close to being able to sum all of that up is God's grace. God's grace that before the foundations of the earth chose you to be adopted into the family of God, that you were predestined. That means God had a plan to love you, to save you. You didn't just get into the kingdom of God on accident or on a technicality that God wants you in his family. His grace that saves us, Brings us out of darkness into light. Brings us from spiritual death into life. God's grace that transforms us. His transformative day by day by day. Shaping us to look more like Jesus grace. And his grace that will preserve us. As the hymn so eloquently states. "Tis grace has brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. May we be a grace filled people. May we be grace-saturated saints. When people come from outside to join with Sound City Bible Church, may they say, man, that church really talks a lot about God's grace, even better. man, that church really practices God's grace. Grace be with you. Grace be with you. Church, has God been gracious to us? Has God been gracious to us a church? Has God been gracious to you as an individual? Has God been gracious to you as a family? He has. He has. So let's seek to respond to him in this grace. And before we do our response, let me just say, we're done with the book of Hebrews. Some of you are like, finally. Okay. And and as you know, next week we're going to start a new sermon series. This is going to be a topical sermon series where we're going to look at particularly issues of social justice, Things that are are broken in our world that the grace of God can specifically speak to. And I stumbled across a quote from one of my favorite pastors and authors, uh, Tim Keller. And I feel like it bridges the gap really nicely between finishing the book of Hebrews this week and looking to head to our topical study next week. And so I'll just read this to you and then I'll call you to response. This is what Tim Keller says. For indeed, grace is the key to it all. It is not our lavish good deeds that procure salvation, but God's lavish love and mercy This is why the poor are as acceptable before God as the rich. It is the generosity of God, the freeness of his salvation that lays the foundation for the society of justice for all. This word of grace is the bridge for any topic we address. That's where we're going to head next. I love you, church. It's been a joyful time for me personally and for I think most of you in, in this study of the book of Hebrews. And so let's seek now to respond to God's grace. You ready to respond? We're gonna respond through a variety of ways. The first way we're gonna respond is through the giving of our tithes and offerings. In 2 Corinthians 9, it says, each one must give what he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Sound city, I want you to give out of the response to God's grace. If you're a guest or visitor, please know you're not obliged to give. We don't want you to feel awkward about that, but we do wanna invite you, all of you, to give generously, to give lavishly to the God who's given to us. If you need help to know how to give, there are give envelopes out at the counter. If you want to give online, uh, soundcitybiblechurch.com slash give, or there's a number there. If you are technologically savvy and you want to text to give, you can do that. While the financial stewards are collecting the offering, let me do this. I'm going to go over some discussion questions and things to pray about this week in our community groups. First of all is this, as you reflect on the book of Hebrews, what topics challenged you the most, what was helpful, what was surprising, what was new for you, what was tough for you to understand. Number two, as you reflect on the last year of your life, where have you seen God working in you? Where have you seen God working in the lives of those in your community? Actually, take time this week in your community group to offer words of encouragement. How many of you know that's really powerful? Like, to offer words of encouragement. And you gotta, listen, be gracious how you do it too. Like, you know, Sally, I used to be just such a jerk last year, but you're really actually pretty nice now. Like that, no. Like, try again. Like, man, I've just really seen God growing you and niceness and less jerkiness. However However you do it, just offer genuine words of encouragement to one another. Number three, where do you need to be reminded that Jesus is better? That overarching theme of the book of Hebrews. And where are you tempted to find your joy or your identity or your security, other things in other places besides him? And then how does God use preaching and community as a means of his grace? And how have you seen God use these in your life to grow? The server's gonna pass out the elements for communion. Just hold on to those for a moment. We'll celebrate the Lord's table together here uh, before we begin singing. Couple things to pray about. Thank God for this last year in the book of Hebrews and for the growth that he has done in us individually and collectively. And number two, pray that God would continue to use the scriptures to grow us as disciples, to draw us closer to Jesus and to save those who are not yet believers. Friends, we wanna be a praying church, amen? We wanna be a praying church. I invite you to take time to really pray through these things. In a minute, we're going to begin our time of response by celebrating the Lord's table and by singing together. And so I'll invite the musicians to come forward and begin to prepare as well. Let me read from 1 Corinthians 11 to set the stage of, of what we're going to be doing here. If this is for Christians, if you are not a Christian, I would invite you to abstain and, and reflect on this practice that we're about to partake in. But, or even better, the invitation is wide open. Give your life to Jesus. Trust in him. Receive his grace. And join us at the table. This is what we're doing. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He received this from the Lord. He also delivered it to us that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, meaning an an unexamined life. An unworthy manner doesn't mean you have sin. It means you're holding on to your sin. Whoever does so will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Friends, this is a time for you to reflect on the ways that God is shaping you, changing you, growing you, that he's been faithful to you as you reflect on the last year of your life, that he's never given up on you despite your own weaknesses and shortcomings. We're gonna sing our first song, Pete, it's Great is Thy Faithfulness, right? So we're gonna sing a classic hymn that just speaks of the faithfulness of God. So I invite you to celebrate the table as you're ready and then we'll stand together and lift our voices in singing in celebration of our God. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your word, the whole totality of your word. But God, we also thank you specifically for the book of Hebrews, the way that you've used it in the life of this church to shape us and grow us, to correct us, to help us to persevere. God, I ask and pray for all of my friends who are here today, for my brothers and sisters, would you give us a greater measure of your grace that we might continue to grow, that we might continue to be changed so that we look more like Jesus each and every day. We pray this all in his good name. And everyone said, amen. Church, let's begin our time of singing and response now.